AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Welcome, Jonathan. Welcome, Jim. It's good to see you here. Good to be here. And uh, Jonathan, you're usually behind the scenes, so <laughs> yes. it's nice to see you in the front of the camera for once yes, here. Yes, yes. And uh, I guess I should welcome myself almost because I'm <laughs> well, really kind right. of a visitor in this activity. But you know, today we're going to talk about the 2020 predictions. Right. And I both look forward to this opportunity to talk about 2020 predictions. I also dread it because it's one of these things where you know, it's really difficult to get correct. Right. And, uh, but at least is a good opportunity to discuss some of the things we're observing and mm -hmm. how we should be thinking about security right. going forward. So I hope we can get some, that kind of uh, thought process as we go forward. So Jonathan, let's go with you first. And what do you think you expect to see in the next year or so? <clears throat> so uh, when, when I was thinking about the things that I, you know, I might predict for next year, mm -hmm. uh, the, the one pattern I, I kept, I've been seeing for probably the last three, four years was, mm -hmm this topic of AI and machine learning. Uh, now, a lot of, there's a lot of companies using it as, as a you know, defensive mechanism, like mm -hmm. adding to their defenses. And, uh, and I started looking, all right, has there been an attack that actually we have evidence of that uses some kind of you know, artificial mm -hmm. intelligence, machine learning, you know, deep neural network, whatever you want to call it, some kind mm -hmm. of, you know, aid that mm -hmm. uses some kind of you know statistical data and uh, I could not find one so I, I'm gonna say that I think we're due for one so my prediction is gonna be <laughs> we're due for <laughs> because of the absence of not seeing it in yes. the past we're due to have uh, something in the future either we're gonna see evidence that has been happening yeah. because the research started I would say four years ago you know, I've seen people do have proof of concept mm -hmm. of, you know, uh, I know IBM came with this really interesting, I think it was called um, DeepLocker, where they, they made this application where um, it was kind of like a web conference thing, mm -hmm. and it would only trigger if, if it knew things about you, like your certain things that you did, mm -hmm. and your face, mm -hmm. and your voice, and like, and the, and the malware, you know, it would hide until that moment. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard to detect, it really hard to reverse engineer. So like we see improves a concept, but I, I can't I could not find evidence yeah. of, of it actually being used by an attacker. And and actually, you know, to anybody watching, if you have evidence, please <laughs> yeah. put it in the comments because I like to see I like to read about it. Okay. Uh, so I think that that's probably my prediction. I think we either we'll find that it has been happening or someone will actually say, yeah, we analyze this data, we use it as input, and now we're using it to attack in this way. Okay, so, so let's dig in this a little bit yeah. further. Jim, what do you think? I, I think it's an interesting idea. I, I don't think that the attackers are gonna work that hard. Yeah. Because <laughs> they can get in They don't need to work that, that hard, hard, right? Exactly, <laughs> right. It's, it would be hard work to do. So I, I don't, I don't, anticipate seeing it. I think it would be interesting right. to see, but mm -hmm. the, they're still having success sending out spam emails or, you know, faked emails and getting users to click on mm -hmm. it right. that uh, I, I don't think they're going to work that hard. Yeah. You know, um, so I have a couple of opinions on this. Right. One is that, um, first of all, uh, to your point, Jim, the easy path is the path that the real motivated attacker is going to use. Right. And there seem to be enough ways to do things still mm -hmm. to be successful that it's not really necessary to use those types of tools. But I think there are, I'll say, opportunities from an attacker's point of view that are probably not really visible 
from a defender's point of view. Right. That is, unless you're the attacker, you're probably not going to see. So um, a lot of the defense mechanisms are to analyze the behaviors of activities, right. whereas I think from an attacker's point of view, they would tend to use it more in the context of reconnaissance activities. And so cognitive intelligence, you know, basically being able to search for what is the easiest avenue and what would be the mechanisms that is the choices you would make that would have the best probability of being successful are perhaps the things. And we perhaps won't right. actually won't ever... see that activity take place. All we know is boy, they found something, how the heck did they find it? Right. We didn't know that vulnerability was there. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I think, the kind of challenge that we have is will we really know if artificial intelligence is being used? We know that there are big repositories of data that have right. information about vulnerabilities around the internet that could be analyzed, whether it's artificial intelligence or, you know, then we start right. slicing the, you know, right. you know or splitting hairs to decide, well, is that really artificial intelligence or is it really just a good decision tree? Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah, and, and I think and I think that's why I, I kind of split my prediction into we will see it or evidence that it already happened because yeah. I think you're right. That there, there is no there are certain things that they can be doing already that we might not see. You know, machine yeah. learning in general and uh, sorry for those that don't know, has a lot of blind spots, <laughs> right? Like, like, like you know what you know, yeah. and there are things you don't. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, the, there's research that has been happening in the past couple of years. One of them, which was very interesting, was they they ran um, malware um, through some algorithm that would that it would rewrite itself in a way that they would be sent to something like VirusTotal mm -hmm. and see which how many AVs it can trick right so like yeah. you know that so maybe the original one would uh, you know predict this many and then they would rewrite it a thousand times and see which combination which of that yeah, would then bypass I don't know half of them mm -hmm. so I mean that that could already be happening we don't know well how do yeah. how do we happening prove behind that? the scenes yeah um, one another thing that you know has I was lucky enough to go to Black Hat and, and DEF CON this year that I, I keep hearing people talking about is, is uh, deep fakes. I mean, mm -hmm. this is machine learning. Well, be, yeah, well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> it's machine learnings to determine how you can replicate some things that right. provides a convincing view, yeah. You know, you're right. If there are attackers that just want the easy target, you know, let's say two million spam emails, mm -hmm. someone's going to fall for it. Mm -hmm. There are people that are, are targeting people. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, in this case, something like being, having the tools and the ability to, you know, fake an executive's face and voice. Like, I don't know that we're prepared to defend for this. I, I want to say we are, mm -hmm. because we, we should be training, you know, their assistants and the people that deal with the executives in, our, in, our, in that way. Mm -hmm. But it's scary to think that someone can just make yeah. a web, let's say a video call, looks exactly the person you think it is with the same voice. You know, maybe mm -hmm. we're not there next year, but we're I mean, you've seen the funny yeah. deep fakes of putting other people's faces. Yeah. It's close yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, it, it, so there are a couple of things that are really important, I think, to consider around the, uh, the deep fake thing, yeah. um, is that the, the ability to create something that's very convincing can be done, right. but it's not a real-time thing right. yet. And so the notion of creating a recording, well, you know, one of the things that's actually to our benefit is there's an awful lot of social media. There's hardly an event where there's only one camera. Yeah. And so there are opportunities to debunk yes. uh, a, a lot of the opportunities for a deep fake. Right. And so uh, I think that's our saving grace at the moment. Right. But 
as you're pointing out, as the technology advances, right. the opportunity to do things in a more convincing way, or even perhaps in a more subtle way, right. that could be uh, more convincing right. is, is going to be the challenge. You know, you, you pointed out something, uh, you used a term that is really critical in considering how artificial intelligence is involved in the security activities, and you said statistics. Right, right. And it really is statistical analysis. There are mm -hmm. different shapes and forms, but it's ultimately doing some sort of statistical analysis. Right. And so in order to really take advantage of artificial intelligence, you have to have enough samples to be able right. to take advantage of the statistical opportunity. Right. And, the, um, and so as an attacker, if somebody is an attacker, they have to be doing enough of them to say, this worked and this did, right. right? And to be able to, and so what it kind of lends itself to is an organization where they perhaps have thousands of people and a huge amount of resources. This is not your little attacker. Right. This in isn't the, your you mother know, your mother 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 shop. This is, this is nation state. <laughs> yes. Right. Or at least an opportunity or... to observe how attacks have worked. And so your virus total is probably a good example yeah. that is to what extent, and I, I love virus total, I think it's yeah, great, 100%. but the opportunity to I'll say, in some respects, poison it, but to use use it for, as a test case for the attackers is uh, a little bit of a liability in, in right. some respects. So, very cool concept. I think the um, uh, it's something we need to be prepared for. That is, yeah. attackers that have the opportunity to be more focused and because of machine learning, right. and uh, perhaps bypass our efforts to defend against those we need to be paying attention to. Yeah, you got to fight harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> harder. Yes, absolutely. So you get our AI attack. Yeah, yeah. that, that AI, their AI. <laughs> uh, I will. I will always. I always defend the notion of stronger preventative controls way before trying to detect and block. <laughs> no, I, and, and I think that anybody doing machine learning and AI right now and not taking account of your domain, yeah. then you're doing it wrong, right? Because yeah. like, if you're not allowing for your holes to be shown through, you know, to filter down. Then, uh, then, then you you have a lot of gaps right yeah. now. So, All right. So, yeah. Very cool concept. So, Jim, you have a neat prediction for next year. Yeah, I since I spend a fair amount of my time doing malware analysis, I've been looking at some emerging trends mm -hmm. in in the malware. One of them I've seen a little bit this year. One of them I haven't seen yet, but I anticipate seeing more are malware using domain fronting to hide their command and control traffic. Mm -hmm. you know, domain fronting is basically taking advantage of these, you know, the content delivery networks and the, you know, the Akamai's and the Cloudflare's and, mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff and hiding behind them so that you know the the traffic that we see leaving the network is going to a Cloudflare or an Akamai or whatever, mm -hmm. and probably HTTPS. So it's encrypted. So you know unless we're breaking all of the HTTPS connections, we don't necessarily see where it's really going. It goes to the the Cloudflare or the Akamai or whatever, and then. It gets forwarded on to the real command and control. Forgive my geeky little analogy. This is kind of like these are not the droids you're looking for. Is that kind of what's well, going on yeah, here? Sort of. Um. <laughs> so there's a DNS lookup that takes place, mm -hmm. and so you can see that, and it looks perfectly legitimate. 
but there's actually more than one thing hosted at that website, right? Right, yeah. and so and the way that the you know the content distribution networks, there's a, an additional header in there that they look at the, to figure out where it's right. where it's really supposed to go. And that one's encrypted. And that one can be encrypted. <laughs> yeah, it, it can be. Yeah. it isn't always, but it yeah. can be. And so, you know, as we're trying to, you know, monitor our networks and look for, you know, C2 traffic that's going out, all we see is something going out to these CDNs, these content yeah. distribution networks. And if we can't look inside it, if it's encrypted, mm -hmm. then it's much harder for us to figure out the command and control. Yeah, and, and this is a challenge for any enterprise network. Exactly. That is, you're operating your own DNS services, looking for potentially malicious activity, perhaps sinkholing ones that you know are, are, are malicious. Yeah. And but if somebody looks up a completely legitimate domain and then points to a server that's hosting that legitimate, but also a bad thing, right. bad things and, can happen. And, <laughs> and, you know, we can, so we can, sinkhole domains, bad domains we know about, or you know, traffic that's going directly to an IP someplace, if we know the bad IP, we can, we can you know, block that as well. Mm -hmm. But with this domain fronting, it's going to a legitimate service. How do you block all of Akamai? Yeah, you block Akamai or Cloudflare, you're blocking, you know, all of the all of the major retail right. places, yeah. you know, you're, you're blocking all sorts of legitimate traffic if right. you do that. Yeah, might get a lot of work done though. Well, <laughs> that's true. Um, and the other one that just started making the news recently, you know, the Firefox, uh, Mozilla with Firefox and Google with Chrome is coming soon if it isn't already there. Mm -hmm. the, um, started doing the DNS over HTTPS. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know the, and there are pros and cons to it. You know there are legitimate reasons why it would be a good thing, especially in places that censor, you know, right. mm -hmm. countries that censor that, that kind of stuff. But again, for us as defenders, if the DNS traffic is not is now not going through us, is getting encrypted and getting mm -hmm. going out to the internet, right. and then all we see coming through our proxies for the outbound C2 traffic mm -hmm. is to an IP address if we don't know that that's, yeah. yeah. Uh, again, so it's encrypting, encrypting some of this communication, making it difficult for us as defenders as we're monitoring our networks yeah. to detect that. And I, so I think one of the things, so first of all, I think there, there are a couple things about DNS over HTTPS that are that are relevant here. One is that you know typically we have DNS associated with the operating system, and this is actually a case where the browser itself is kind of saying, you know, I don't really care what the operating system says. I'm going to do my own DNS, and so it first creates a little bit of an inconsistency. That is how you think things might resolve in DNS normally might resolve a little differently because it's part of the browser experience, I'll say. But it still falls back if it doesn't work, right? In well, Firefox. Well, well, there are, it, it, there it are controls. They yeah. are putting controls in place because they're recognizing, I think, to some extent, what Jim is describing is that an enterprise that wants to be able to have control of their enterprise security environment and their business processes. Right. 
needs to be able to control, like for example, a lot of domain names are actually resolved only internal, internal to the yeah. organization, and so you have to have a way to be able to allow some controls of how DNS gets resolved. Right. So they have ways to bypass it, right. but in your typical scenario, perhaps a consumer, there, there are different things that can take place and right. things can change if you're not in the enterprise or something like that. So there, there are little twists and turns around this. <laughs> <laughs> Have we seen it being used maliciously? Like, I, I don't recall. But I, I hadn't until this last week. I yeah. heard uh, somebody say, and I haven't looked into the, the malware itself, but I did hear recently that there was at least one malware campaign that was using DNS over HTTPS mm -hmm. to try to hide their... Interesting. And testing, so, testing the waters. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> it, it, if one is doing it now, yeah. then I, I'm i relatively confident in my prediction right. that there will be more of it in 2020. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> and, and using DNS for even command control or to subvert, subvert other controls is not new. No. Uh, we've seen that before. We've seen malware actually establish their own DNS hierarchy and create, you know, sort of a, it's a their rogue DNS structures. They could control how things, DNS changer was an example. Yeah, and the, and the all the fast flux stuff that we were talking about yes. when we started this show. And yeah, <laughs> yes, way back when. Yes. Way back when. <laughs> I had hair and it wasn't all gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, hopefully it won't get more gray as things go forward here. But Well, I will, but that's okay. It is a good prediction. It's something to be paying attention to. And I think uh, what is really happening is that enterprise at their perimeters really need to be paying attention to how they allow encrypted traffic through right. and to put mechanisms in place to at least be selective about what things go through. Now, I, I think if there's anything that what you're describing really complicates the scenario, is you could perhaps use a scenario, a, a, basically a model that says, I know this domain name, I know it's a safe organization, you know, retailprovider.com. I'll let that one go through unencrypted, but this one I'm not so sure about, maybe we'll decrypt out, put it through some analysis, make sure that it, it doesn't have any things that suggest it's a, uh, a malicious uh, website. Now with the fronting, domain fronting, that gets trickier to do. Yeah, well, it, yeah, when you use these in combination, plus the fact that when, you, when you're tunneling DNS over HTTPS, mm -hmm. how do you distinguish the DNS traffic from yes. all of the other in, encrypted web traffic that's going yeah. at, you know, because yeah. you just got stuff going to 40 or 43. Well, mm -hmm. is that web traffic or is that DNS traffic? Mm -hmm. You may be able to tell some of that by the size of, of the responses maybe, this, <laughs> but you know, your size of requests isn't even necessarily, because you often have small requests give you back large yeah. results. So it's so yeah. perhaps if I could embellish your prediction to really overgeneralize okay. it, I would say <laughs> that perhaps the days of using the network enterprise network perimeter as a means to monitor the security of an enterprise, the days are numbered. Right. That is, as more things become encrypted, as more redirection occurs, if you will, the shell game of is this not the droid you're looking for type situation. Um, it makes it much, much more difficult, and we need to be looking closer into the workloads themselves 
and controlling it at, at a much more granular level. So, you know, that, that when I was looking at my prediction, I, I, I ran into this uh, open source application that mm -hmm. was using machine learning to predict whether a, a new brand new registered domain seemed to be used for things like that, for domain, mm -hmm. having command controls, and then, uh, and, you know, I, I feel like maybe that is a space where, you know, instead of us having to look through 300,000 domains, we can look at 100, and, yeah. and, and right, so, I, it's, it would be nice to be able to see this, this domain was registered, there's a pattern that we don't understand, but the, the algorithm seems to think that it's not good. Mm -hmm. It's just blocked from the or not. Well, yeah. and it is, like it, it is certainly <laughs> the case that, you know, you should be suspicious of, of new domains. Yeah. That, you know, if, if, domains that haven't been registered for very long, right. mm -hmm. should be way up there on your, <laughs> you know, the list of things you're suspicious of. Right. Yep. As they are more established, then you can be more confident that they're yeah. they're legitimate because the bad guys are registering these things and then throwing them away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And so, yeah, that's that's been something that right. that's has always been something we <laughs> take into account. And yeah. right. okay, let's talk about my prediction here and. Um, I'm expecting debate on this, just as we've been doing already, so this is, this is actually quite good. Um, I'm predicting that IoT threats will not manifest into any significant troublesome issue in the next year. And, uh, you know, there have been a lot of discussions about IoT threats right. and uh, how, you know, with 5G, you know, massive deployment of, you know, IoT devices, there's going to be a really big problem. I don't really see that happening. And uh, so, Jonathan, I'm kind of interested in your thoughts here, and we'll discuss a little <laughs> bit further. Well, uh, I might not debate you that much, actually. Here's why. Because it depends on what IoT we, we're talking about, right? That's true. So, so in, an, in, an, in an enterprise or smart city-style IoT co data collection setting, mm -hmm. like, if an attacker gets on those devices, let's say, I mean, they're literally just, for the most part, they're just sensors. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know what they would do with that, except for me, and they're a lot of times low-powered, they don't really have a good use for mm -hmm. like, you know, doing like denial of service attacks mm -hmm. and things like that. So in that scenario, maybe I'd be more concerned about the, the place where the data is being collected, like mm -hmm. <laughs> the aggregators of the data. Um, and, but, but there's other things like consumer products, which, you know, are being used already yeah. for a lot of attacks. So uh, whether, I mean, your prediction is that, it, I, I think you're right, I think it won't change, really. The, yeah. the, we won't see like, oh my God, IOT, you know, the, the hell is broken loose. Yeah. Um, except in the consumer space. I, I think, I, I don't think people, the, the, I don't think the companies are doing enough yeah. So maybe I will see a rise, and maybe that would not get better. I, mean, I think it will get worse. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit because you made a couple, I think, really good points. One is that um, they're really most IoT. So I put IoT into basically two broad categories, and um, I, the way I kind of define IoT is that you really don't have an operator sitting in front of it right. as a device per se. You know, right. no keyboard. You might have a little punch screen or something like that. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, we have the more complex devices with sophisticated control systems, automobiles, airplanes, that right. kind of thing. Um, not the airplanes you fly, Jim, because those are just, those still use cables, if you can believe it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but the, uh, more the jets and, you know, they're fly-by-wire. So in those scenarios, um, 
I, I think people are really kind of paying attention. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be perfect, but I don't think it's a situation where um, we're going to have a catastrophic kind of thing. And the, uh, they're really learning how to do it much better. That is, uh, I don't know of any connected cars that don't have automatic update features today directly. You know, that, that's relatively new. Mm -hmm. It was a big mistake to try to put sophisticated software in a, into a system where you actually have to drive into the dealer to try to get something updated <laughs> and fixed on it. But most all of them, I think now, fingers crossed, are, you know, have the ability to fix problems in the field when they're discovered. And generally speaking, my experience, having really worked in threat analysis for about 20 years now, wow, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's hard to believe. Yeah. But working in these areas, the vulnerabilities generally really lead the big problems that cause from that come from those vulnerabilities and the ability to recognize those and patch them or fix them in advance really provides a good opportunity to curb issues like that. So the second category, which you focused on, right. is these really simple devices, and they are very cost sensitive. Right. That is, the tendency is to not put much more CPU power and memory than you really need to do that function. Right. They tend to be relatively simple. So from a security standpoint, they're relatively simple to lock down. Yeah. Now, what we've seen in consumer devices, and I'm really glad you brought that up, like the closed circuit television DVRs that have been a problem in the past. There have been some home routers that have been a problem in the past. The reality is, and I'm, I'm speaking about some very select home routers, a lot have had little vulnerabilities, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. a little cross-site scripting type thing or something like that, which have been exploited, but not in a massive scale. Right because usually they have to get on the inside to do it, right? <laughs> but the, uh, the ones that have really been problems, I think are the ones that have given IoT a bad name. Yes, and right. my theory is it's deliberate, that's a whole separate story. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is they had really obvious and really significant vulnerabilities and I think the industry has smartened up about that in general. Okay. That is, I don't think you'll see too many IoT devices that are exposing Telnet to the internet <laughs> with a default <laughs> password that you can't change. Right, right. There aren't too many things like that. I mean, if they do, that you know, it's gonna, I'll say, correct itself relatively quickly <laughs> yeah, yeah. compared to the first round. And so we had a round of activities so between like 2014 and 2017-ish, yeah. right. where yeah. there were really a handful of things that were creating a really bad name for IoT. I think to a large extent, the industry has learned from that. Right. And um, I, I think we're gonna see some positive things going forward. So Jim, what are your thoughts? I, I, I generally uh, agree that, I, I, I keep wondering though, because I haven't ever broken down and taken a look at it, but what could you do if you compromised a light bulb? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay, you could plunge the room into darkness. Could the, you? Yeah, that's, there are there are really some creative opportunities that that are coming. Yes. Yeah. Um, you, you probably wouldn't use that for DDoS. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of bandwidth there. But uh, well, and then the other the other thing that does keep me awake at night a little bit is you, know, you were talking about you know, planes and, and cars <laughs> and that kind of stuff and you know. We should I, include I, trains in there, I think. Pla <laughs> yeah, planes, trains, and automobiles, exactly. Uh, but, you know, I, I start wondering about a ransomware attack on a, you know, on a car or a, mm. or a plane. And is, 
you'd hope that they're sufficiently air-gapped, mm -hmm. but if if they do manage to get in there, you know, well, the, 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 you could, the car is dead, it's sitting on mm -hmm. the side of the road and you're not gonna be able to do anything with it. Mm -hmm. The worst thought is if it's a plane, which, yeah. <laughs> you know. I, and, I, and, I don't, and I don't doubt that there are bad guys that are trying to figure out how to do exactly that. Yeah, there probably are. And, um, and so, um, so you, you, you point out one thing, and I think, Jonathan, you were touching on this as well, is what can you do with an IoT device? Right. And you know, we're getting on, they don't have a whole lot of CPU power, They're the simple Some ones. ones yeah. They don't have a lot of CPU power. Um, and so the three things that I've generally seen IoT devices used for is DDoS attacks, right. which require a reasonable amount of CPU and some bandwidth. Now, if you have lots and lots and lots of devices, you can use those right. to create a lot of traffic with just a little contribution from each, but you still have to manage that lots and lots and lots, yeah. which is not a simple endeavor in itself. So there, there are inhibitors to the huge monstrous botnet that help to, to curb that a little bit. The other option is crypto mining. We've seen a lot of crypto mining activities, but if you don't have a lot of CPU, again, you spend more time <laughs> managing devices than you do actually doing cryptocurrency right, mining. And it, yeah, right, and if they've got yeah. those small CPUs, how long does it take before yeah. it is able to mine anything at all? Yeah. If, it, yeah. if it takes 10 years for that light bulb to mine you know, <laughs> one Bitcoin or one you know, Ethereum, yeah, then it's probably why bother? Not, yeah, it's yeah, why bother? And the, the um, uh, and so there 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 are probably easier avenues. Um, you're kind of wrapping back. There are from an attacker's point of view, they want to find the simplest way to achieve their goals. Uh, compromise a cloud account. Yeah, that's probably a little easier to get a lot of computer power relative to the IoT stuff. Right. Jonathan, you pointed out the real sweet spot is perhaps not the IoT devices themselves, but the aggregation point where all of that information is yeah. being collected together and you have this repository, not only just the data itself, but they're doing analysis on it for you, right. and you might be able to get the results and Neatly you know, have some yeah, benefits <laughs> associated with that. Yeah. So I think that's where the attacker would tend to go to, right. and we need to make sure that those repositories are well protected because those are that's where the ransomware attack is going to occur that's where perhaps the exfiltration attack will occur it's protecting those repositories right. is probably going to be more important you know another uh, facet of this that I think is uh, oh the other thing that they tend to get used for is an anonymizing proxy right like in someone's home and trying to get through their home yeah. right uh, so yes a bad guy wants to do something and hide their tracks yeah. and so, so they're they relayed through, through those devices yeah. um, click fraud does that yeah. sort of thing and so to be able to do those like and that certainly is one that needs to be paid attention to right. um, but in the end an attacker is going to want to have some sort of motive to go through the trouble and make money Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, the ransomware attack is actually one, not one that I'd thought about, but the, um, the it is a, a legitimate thing. But I I suspect that if somebody's car or plane, especially the plane, <laughs> becomes a victim of a ransomware attack, it's probably not going to happen too many more times before <laughs> there's a huge forensics analysis and a means and a to patch. help protect yeah. that and prevent prevent it from occurring again. So. True. There, there may be that one-time event that occurs, or maybe a two-time event or something, but it's not going to go on well, too many times before. Your point of, of the industry, the car industry mainly, I don't know about the airplane industry, I'm not familiar with it, 
uh, having worked the, the the ability to do automatic patching on all mm -hmm. on their whole fleet, I think yeah to your point like if uh, I know with Tesla there were certain cases where something caused an accident mm -hmm. and they were able to say okay that is now patch in every car yeah. like can you really yeah. say that about the DVR we can't no we, yeah. we, 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 <laughs> for years we've seen no you can't you don't get so yeah. I mean I think that that's the the saving yes. grace I yeah absolutely and, and you know I think if there's one critical feature that should be in every IOT device whether it's super simple device or it's a really complex device is that you really must have the ability to securely update the software on the device to fix a problem without humans having to actually touch the device. Yeah. That is, if it's on the top of a light pole right. yeah. in the middle of the city and you have 10,000 of them, there's no way you can get enough crews out there to get to you know, things updated. <laughs> you must have that capability. And pretty much any other problem, you know, so long as you have you know, a little bit of bandwidth in terms of the CPU and the memory to be able to accommodate the fixes, right. uh, that's really the fundamental capability that needs to be in place. And so I've been saying that for years. Yes. And I think to We've a large extent. harping on that <laughs> since we started this show. Right, right, right. And, um, and I think to a large extent, the industry has adopted right. at least that aspect of it, which is uh, really important. You know, the other thing that I think is really uh, notable about the IoT space is we talk a lot about IoT really proliferating associated with 5G. Well, you know, 5G is not like a mindlessly impl implemented right. network technology. It's one that provides pretty good encryption. It provides good authentication of the devices that are connected to the network. Because it has good authentication, if devices are, I mean, they can be identified. And if they're doing bad things, they can be removed. Yep. And the, uh, the monitoring capabilities on the network are relatively controlled. In contrast to, for example, to the internet in general where there is no network access control directly other than the physical provisioning of the services right. and you know Wi-Fi devices that you know they're completely ad hoc in many cases and so there's a lot more control in this environment that actually does some good from a security standpoint so even if there is a problem there are opportunities for the network to help with the security problems as opposed to what I think is kind of the common banter, which is, it's going to be the problem. It's not. I don't think that's the case. And so that's my prediction. Right. Uh, I hope I'm right on this. We are doing a lot to prepare mm -hmm. to make right. sure that we're prepared for security issues. Uh, and so that's that's where I stand. At least not in 2020. It's really <laughs> difficult. It's really difficult to predict more than a year in advance yeah. relative to. Uh, Right. you know, security events and technology in general. Right. It just moves so quickly. Yeah. I think we have a few really good predictions here. Yeah. I think we're solid on solid ground. Computers will exist next year. How about yeah. that? <laughs> Four <laughs> predictions. If you don't want to have a security problem, shut all your machines down and don't use them. Yeah. <laughs> Including your phone. And your watch. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I think the industry is doing a lot of good work. We're, you know, keeping, yeah. keeping on top of all the problems, you know, it's a cat and mouse game, right? Like, we just gotta be better. Yes. And that's that's what we need to do. I, I've been generally really encouraged that uh, I think there was a period in the security industry that went into a very reactionary mode right. as opposed to a preventive mode. Right. And I think it's shifted over the last couple few years more toward prevention right. solutions. That is, try to understand where your software is coming from, 
look for vulnerabilities in the software before you deploy it, uh, put controls in place so you can update it and fix it in the field more quickly, yes. using cloud security solutions so that you have uh, relative, much more automation around management of the infrastructure to help make sure the control, I think a lot of trends toward preventing the security problem in the first place. Uh, still a lot of work to do, yeah. but I think we're moving generally in the right direction. All right, very good. Thanks. Look forward to 2020 here. Yes. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.